Mulkey Adventure, Mulkey. Do not answer the phone if that f calls. <laughs> Holy shit. Welcome to episode 18 of the Cold Fear Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Mulkey. Thanks for tuning in. Getting a lot of uh, great feedback from you guys that are listening into the podcast here, which has definitely motivated me to get more recorded and sit down with a lot more people. Uh, I've got some pretty exciting uh, conversations coming up that I'm excited to share with you guys. Hopefully, everything aligns to get those done. Um, I'm also just got done with the Wyman Ice Festival. So if you came and supported that event, I really appreciate it. It was an incredible time. Over 200 people from 27 different states. And the weather was perfect. So we are officially midwinter, which means that now the ice festivals really start kicking off. But I'm excited that the next few ice festivals I'm going to are not the ones that I have, I'm putting together. <laughs> the ice festivals are a lot more enjoyable uh, when you're there just attending and not the one organizing. So I'm excited to be heading off to Ure, then Smug's Ice Bash, and then to the Mich- Michigan Ice Festival. Um, that's kind of the, the ending one. Might be going to Festi Glass, not sure yet, um, but uh, I got an, enough traveling ahead of me and not enough climbing personally ahead of me, so I got to figure out that balance a little bit more. But uh, that's that's life. That's how this works, right? We'd all love to be climbing all the time, but that's just not what pays the bills. So um, I sit down today with Christian Kiefer. Christian Kiefer is uh, a middle-aged intermediate climber. I think that's exactly how he would describe himself. And the conversation we dig in today is a little bit of everything. Um, you know, Christian's a, is also a writer, I should say. Um, he's uh, writes for Alpinist and has written a couple of books. And he camped out in my driveway for about a week. Uh, friends of friends, I don't really know Christian prior to that, but, uh, you know, we just went out for dinner and decided to sit down and just have a conversation, and um, it was a really, really great conversation. We talked a little bit about everything, you know, as you get older, assessing risk, and what does risk look like to you, uh, what does risk look like to, you know, younger people and, you know, some of the top climbers that are out there right now. Uh, we also, you know, really dive into why are we climbing? You know, I think a lot of people that are getting started in the sport, there's a lot of focus on grades, maybe not focus as much on the experiences that are out there. Um, so we kind of talk about that. And um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. It was it was a good one. We Again, a lot of topics covered in this one. So uh, sit down and, and let me know what you think. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it on social media, tag me at, at Cold Fear. And I'm excited to get some more coming your way. All right, we're now recording, so you can you know continue to act as you were, <laughs> <laughs> and you will never run for your political what, office. What ever. do you mean, Mister Mulkey? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea to what you refer. <laughs> yeah, that's called hush money, right there. That's right. Well, uh, welcome to the podcast, Christian Kiefer. Thank you, man. It's good to be here. I listened to. Uh, I listen to Cold Fear on the drive out here from California incessantly. You got you got updated on all this, all the good stuff. Very nearly made me turn around and go back. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, who the hell is this I'm guy? It's like this is ridiculous, especially the bear attack slash getting your nuts clipped episode. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was kind of the ultimate. Yeah, it's just like I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going back to sunny California, <laughs> putting on my flip flops and. 
You're like, come back home. I don't know, honey. I just wanted to get a vasectomy when I was there. I don't know something about it. A vasectomy from a bear. Yeah. 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 Well, um, maybe kind of just give your, give a little introduction. You're yeah, a, you know, you write for Alpinist. You're an author, but maybe I know I there's do. more to there. Well, um, I do write for Alpinist. I've got a piece uh, coming out in the upcoming issue, a fiction piece. I've got um, five novels out. Uh, the new one is called The Heart of It All. Working on a new novel that has to do with mountaineering, um, big alpine walls in um, in the Hindu Kush range. Uh, we'll see if that comes together or not. There's no telling. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this is my first time. This this weekend was my first time at an ice festival and my first time in Wyoming. This is your first time at an ice festival. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of ice festivals in California. No, there's not a lot of ice in California either. But uh, this was just like a commitment to myself. You know, coming out. That's still pretty impressive, though, because you've been climbing for how long? Well, I've been climbing for 25 years, but with like a 20-year break in the middle of it. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's funny because I learned on, you know, I, I learned on leashed tools with foot fangs and back in the old days. And, uh, I mean, my, you know... Um, studying uh the pictures of octopusy and and you know how how to do a figure four and all that stuff what when it was to me brand new and um coming back into it now you know leashless tools different shape different techniques really refined very hard climbing and um and you know I'm 52 so I'm coming into it with a very new to me perspective on what I can do and what's fun and what kind of risk is kind of acceptable and what's not for me at this time. What, uh, what made you stop climbing? What, what, why, why 20 years break? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, part of it was having kids and part of it was getting in over my head really quickly. Um, I didn't come in to climbing through climbing. I came in through backpacking and, what that meant for me is when 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 I was on a backpacking trip and things went south, like it started raining and the tent had a hole in it or we realized we forgot half the food or somebody sprained an ankle and we had to carry them out or something, that stuff I really loved. Like the worse it got on the backpacking trip, the more fun I had. <laughs> As a result of that, I never really got into the 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 climbing gyms and like crag climbing and like clipping bolts and like I kind of skipped all that stuff and got and immediately went into sort of the alpine and uh in retrospect very obviously the wrong trajectory for a climber just starting out I think like I didn't really have a good mentor um I didn't have any money so it didn't occur to me to hire a guide um mm. I read a lot and I reading is my primary way of learning. And at the time I just sort of assumed like, I'll just read everything, which I did. I read, I still do. I mean, I read thousands of pages and then I just applied that stuff the best I could out there with whoever was on rope with me. And as a result of that, I got into two situations back to back that just scared the crap out of me. Um, one was a lightning storm on Shasta right at the summit. And the other was like a, you know, it was supposed to be an eight-hour climb and uh, up a uh, alpine 
ice route and it ended up being like a 36 hour climb with no water and no food and everyone was you know we were hallucinating and it was chaos and and I had my my first son at that point and um it was fairly easy to just go like you know what I think I'll just sit around and drink coffee for 25 years <laughs> so that's kind of what I did like so the experience on Shasta was that bad that it was like and is it because you you felt like you were gonna like you weren't sure you were gonna make it or like what I was, was pretty sure we were gonna get hit by lightning. And my partner was from New Hampshire, and he also was equally like, "Oh, we have a dog visitor." Yeah, there's goose. We um, the other thing too was I I left all my snow gear on Shasta, like anything metal I dumped in a big pile. Okay, as yep. we were, as we were leaving, and then on that second climb. The ice wasn't uh, the the snow ice wasn't good enough to do V threads. So as a result of that, I left a lot of gear on that climb too. So re-entering it also would have been a huge financial investment again. Like I had just finally cobbled together enough straight shafted cams and like pound in ice screws to make kind of a rack, mm. and then suddenly you know half or three quarters of it had been left on these two climbs, and. Um, I just sort of decided I wasn't really an athlete and I couldn't logically figure out or emotionally even figure out what I was doing out there. And I think understanding that better now has made me not not a better climber. I'm still a totally mediocre climber, but it's really made me kind of a champion of what I think of as the average sort of climber. Um, uh, Aaron, we were talking in the car earlier about like, I think probably there's more top ropers in ice than leaders in ice climbing. Yeah. You asked me, yeah, did I think there was more top ropers or leaders, which is a interesting question. I think, yeah, I, I would have to imagine more top ropers. Yeah. And I think, I think that's okay. And I think yeah. it's okay to have certain goals, but, um, you know, I'm 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 a writer and I'm a reader and a consumer of of things like this podcast and um, you know podcasts like this and um, the one that uh, Alpinist does and and um, you know uh, the Norma cast and all the other ones uh, they necessarily and rightfully have like real actual athletes on you know folks like yourself. Um, which is super inspiring, but but oftentimes it's inspiring in like the most abstract way because for me at 52, like, I mean, I'm never going to climb K7. Like, it's awesome reading the story <laughs> about it, but there's there's not a lot I can really get out of it. You know, I mean, I can get sort of an abstract stoke, right? Yeah. And I love hearing, you know, I love, you know, Dane Stedman was on and I loved hearing him on the show and stuff. And and um, this weekend at the Wyoming Ice Festival, he did a, a beautiful presentation on all the climbs that he had done. And it was very inspiring how much he's getting after it. But, you know, again, I'm 52. I've got seven kids. You know, it's like I've got a, a couple of jobs that I'm holding down. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more dedicated than a weekend warrior, but not much. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think that's okay. And I think that, um, 
I think that a lot of us who are recreational climbers, who aren't pros, um, can can have some trouble figuring out our level, especially if we take it seriously and and, and we're obsessed with it the way that people get obsessed with things. Um, I think figuring out if climbing harder will actually make it more fun for you as mm. a as a person. I, I think it's okay to have those goals. I mean, every, any I think it's okay for anybody to have whatever fucking goals they want. Yeah, <laughs> to be yeah. honest, right? Yeah. But I'm just talking about like the a, the 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 average mediocre climber, of which I am uh, the president. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, I came out here to Wyoming back in California. I felt like I maybe had climbed a, a, on lead a water ice four minus. I think I'd be very comfortable in Wyoming climbing a water ice one on lead. <laughs> I mean, like, this was a very humbling trip for Christian Kiefer, you know? I think it's humbling for a lot of people, yeah, so I mean, you're not alone. Yeah, I mean, this, these climbs were serious. Um, even getting to them is serious. Um, and... You know, one of the key things for me at the festival was just having some very competent people in the front, um, setting up the ropes for us and giving us feedback and and all of that. And um, I was thinking while climbing, you know, uh, well, my first thought was, you know, the 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 puckering of like, holy shit, I'm glad I'm not leading this. <laughs> this crumbly fracturing (laughs) overhanging thing that I'm on as I'm screaming take repeatedly at the top of my lungs up, up the thing as it's raining water down on my face, you know, um, making the Wyoming ice festival sound great. Aren't I? (laughs) Yeah. 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 You're really selling it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, um, I think coming, coming through four days, I did four full days of, of clinics here and coming out of that and really thinking like, okay, my real level is maybe Wyoming three minus on lead. But I have to say, um, top roping those, those fives or four pluses, that was, that's great. You know, like I loved that. And I think as sort of a, a as a middling climber, we we don't talk about it much. But I mean, we you know I'll, I'll joke like I'll put my GoPro on and record myself on top rope, and I'm like, yeah, this is for my real rock movie Masters of Top Rope, you know. <laughs> but I do think like we joke a lot about top rope. In fact, I even I even asked a buddy if he wanted me to film him going up a route. Uh, but he was on top rope, and he's like, "Well, why would I want that? I'm on top rope." But it's like, it's okay to be on top rope. Like that's, that's totally okay. To that's how rope. you learn to do it. And and I think though, it's also sometimes it's okay not to want to be on the sharp end and oh, take a back seat. Absolutely. I, I mean, mean, the the thing about top roping, which I which I love it, in many ways, I think it's it's the purest form of climbing besides like absolutely free soloing. Yeah, like. You don't have to worry about anything except the movement. And you can take some risks that you normally wouldn't take. You know, like, well, yeah. let's see if I can stem off of this weird little icicle off to the side. You know, how much pressure yeah. can it take? And and may, maybe you wouldn't choose to do that if you were on lead. In my case, I wouldn't choose to do that on lead because I wouldn't be on lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that there's, like, top roping is... 
good for a lot of things. I think the only bad thing would be is like if you do have aspirations to to lead, that top apron too much can become that comfort zone that could be oh, difficult yeah. to get out of. Yeah. Um, I mean, my wife, she never, she never wants to lead. So she's totally, completely happy top roping. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Like, yeah. I, you know, we've talked about it. And there's, you're not changing Kelly's mind about that at all. Um, <laughs> and wants, that's just fine. She wants to live. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think that <laughs> that's totally fine for people. If that's, yeah. if you have no aspirations to want to lead and you enjoy ice climbing and you want to top rope, or follow and that's your goals then great yeah so be it like we all you know we all get certain things from the sport i, w- I would be curious so you know for for you you know you've kind of been you know looking from the outside in and coming back to the sport now and you know um doing doing some more writing for you know alpinist and this this other piece you're working on um what like do you feel like the entry into the sport is difficult? I I think it can be and would be even more if it weren't for the internet. Because huh. um you know, there are dick holes in every sport, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And um occasionally you run into somebody who's a climber who's that way but i've i have found i've found a lot of support and i think also i'm a very supportive person so like the moment i learned how to lead this time uh 20 25 years later um i immediately started offering to take people out to sort of you know, set up top ropes and teach them proper technique and, and, and how to get up things. Um, and I think that ethos, uh, you know, I've talked about this as a writer because as, as a writer, you end up knowing a lot of writers and you end up, you know, when the Pulitzer Prize gets announced, it's like, oh, Chuck won the Pulitzer Prize. Like, that's cool. You know, and you text Chuck like, hey, Chuck, right yeah. on, brother, you know. <laughs> Um, like you're within the inner circle. Yeah, you're within the inner circle as you are. You know, we were talking about Will Gadd and, and, and Seth and lots of other people earlier. Um, uh, the um, the the only the only reason to get famous at anything, I think, is so you're in a better position to help other people. You know, and that's really how I look at it. And. Um, I've found a lot of a lot of support um, in that community, and the 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 beginning of that is just going okay. I'm 52. I've been riding and and drinking cognac for 20 years. <laughs> like, how do I how do I get fully back into this? And so you know, it starts with uphill athlete, and then with evoke endurance, and I've been like very religiously doing the 15 or 16 week like ice climbing thing um with them uh in fact i went to the gym today to sort of tick off today's today's nice yeah today's thing and i i have to do that i mean that's seven days a week and i have to do that seven days a week because if i don't um you know I, I, i keep harping on my age but at my age like or your age like skipping a day is like skipping a week for a 25 year old 
Yeah. So I really do have to keep on it. And that's just to be half the speed of the 25-year-old partner that I'm with back back home, you know? So part of it's that. Part of it is onboarding into the sport in in a way that supports who you are as a person. Um, I think it's probably fairly easy to be in your 20s and find some people who are in their 20s to go climbing with. If you're 50 and you're coming into the sport, you're looking for somebody who's 50 as yeah. well. The Most people in their 50s aren't looking to find a sport that's going to create more risk for them. No, that's true. And if they are climbers and they're 50, they're probably totally hard men at that point because they've been doing it since their yeah. 20s. So it's difficult to find somebody who's also mediocre <laughs> who's yeah. 50. You know? It's like Conrad. Conrad probably has a trouble finding people his age willing to go and do the things that he wants to go oh do. Oh, my God, yeah. Can you imagine? You know, yeah. Which like, is why he runs around with 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, the nice thing is on Mountain Project, you can go in and filter by age and, and, and <laughs> oh, try really? to... Yeah, you can go like, I want people within 50 miles of this zip code who are like between 45 and 55. And, like, and then you can send them messages. And I mean, I found two or three of my partners that way. Really? You know? Yeah, yeah. I haven't... I've never... I don't think I've ever been on Mountain Pro- No, no, I take that back. It's probably been 15 years since I've been on Mountain Pro- Yeah, well, you don't need to, because now people come and come to Cody and pay you. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's uh, but I think there's, I know people always talk about routes. Oh, hey, is it on Mountain Project? I'm like, I, I don't, I have no idea. Yeah. Probably not, because if yeah. I didn't write it, you know, <laughs> but a lot of the classics, everything's in Winter Dance, most of that stuff's on Project, on Mountain Project. Yeah, somebody keyed it all in. Yeah, some, oh, yeah. somebody did? Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Nice. I'm sure, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, you can get... Uh, so when I come out with a guidebook, you mean somebody's going to basically take the guidebook and put it in a Mountain Project? Well, they'll probably put the roots in, but they won't put the, the topos in. All right. So... Well, then we'll do, I won't do topos. It'll be, I'm going to leave it like it's going to be a little bit of a treasure hunt, you know? <laughs> well, I was, I was, it's not going to be a play by play. I mean, when, when you were talking about the guidebook and I was doing those climbs this weekend, j- just the approaches, I thought, like, man, I hope he's got like a full time cartographer to do these approach maps because even getting to the base of them, it'd be so easy to just go up the wrong draw and yeah. end up at the base of something else. I'm going to actually keep the approaches pretty. I'm not going to get into super detail. I want to kind of leave a little bit of adventure out there, but I will, I think I am going to leave a, for each climb, I'm going to leave like a, um, a link to, you know, like a track or a something GPX like that. So that's, yeah. yeah, I haven't figured out exactly what that'll be. You need to have like a, a re, like Wyoming ratings and you have to have like. Approach rating. Like, I've been trying yeah. to think of an approach an rating. An approach rating. And then yeah. maybe like an approach rating for like a 50 year old dad. You know, like. <laughs> Like, for a normal person, this is like approach rating three. For Christian Kiefer, it's approach rating seven. Like, it's going to break him, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, well, if anybody has any recommendations on approach ratings <laughs> or how to how to define that, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, as, like, I mean, you're saying, like, hey, I'm, I'm you know, middle-aged, intermediate, intermediate climber. Well, what, like, so what are your goals? Yeah. <laughs> My goal is to um, get back to the car. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a pretty common goal, I think, yeah. across most people. No, I, I do have some goals. Like I, I, my goal this year was to lead at the by the end of the season to lead Water Ice Five. 
my goal now is to lead water ice four minus in Wyoming. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, which so is, water ice five plus Colorado or anywhere else. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Colorado. And I'd like to lead, um, on trad. I'd like to cleanly and confidently lead 10 a, which I can't do. I can, I'm a, I can, I can lead nine, um, 10 a though. I can't get all the way through cleanly without, yeah. without hanging and a little bit of fuckery. Yeah. And those two things, my my goals, they're very soft goals. Like, I don't have much writing on the goals. It's just in the High Sierra, having those two things down skill-wise in my toolbox opens up a lot of terrain for me. Hmm. Oh, and also um, being able to ski well enough to, to ski back to the car. Not to ski the gnarly couloir. Just to, just to be able to just, access and get out of the mountain. I just want to get back to the enchiladas uh, a few hours early. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the summit is always like, enchiladas are coming. And the enchiladas just got a lot closer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Do you think uh, have, like having kids has affected your climbing goals that you have? And maybe not necessarily the goals now, but also goals that you've had previously? I mean, it's definitely affected my willingness to risk. And just to back it up a little bit, like when you had that near miss um, with the thunder and all that stuff, did you have kids then? One. You had one. I had one, yeah. And I definitely, like, the the thought was in my head, like, oh, my kid's going to have no dad if I don't get out of this. Yeah. It was definitely a thought. Um. And it's, that's an interesting thing, you know, um, having children connects you to the world in a way that, that being a child of somebody else doesn't, you know, like Mm -hmm. you can think like, I mean, you could, you you could be in some shiver bivy thinking like, man, my mom would be so mad at me if she thought, if she, if she knew what I was in right now. Right. But like. The reality of like, man, I got to get home because my kids need a dad. Yeah. You know, like that's a different like psychological level of determination. Um, and it also, you know, I'm, I'm very, very willing to back off a route. Very willing. So yeah. like talking about um, that Janu climb that just happened where the, those three guys uh, were just like, fuck it we're going like we're gonna do it yeah you know i mean it's it's amazing and i can't wait to hear more about that climb and see it you know i think it's getting written up in alpinist right now and um but it's also like as a human and an adult and somebody with a heart who cares about people part of me is just like what the fuck are you guys doing like uh yeah um 100 i mean Either something incredible happens or something devastating happens. And I mean, I don't know that I would say that luck was on their side, but I mean, they all three of them had a ton of climate experience that allowed them to, to move and navigate the terrain and, and to survive the terrain that they have. But, um, you know, anybody looking in should recognize that, like, I mean, they were, they were, they were, they walked the line. Like, yeah. they literally walked the line. Yeah. Um, and, I'm sure they they you know one one or two things could have easily of of you know 
that could have created a balance. Yeah. Um, and I think things like that are only going to happen. They're not going to happen every year. And I think people right. that look at that or, or, or even listen to their presentation, I've got to recognize like, this is like a, these things happen like, you know, things like that are once a decade. Right. You know, right. and we know a lot of people that have died. I mean, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's too many, unfortunately, you know, I've been around it long enough to see that, but like, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens next with them, you know, coming, basically going that close to death and coming down, you know, what's, what's next, you know, do you, do you want more or do you walk yeah. away? You know, I mean, we, we you know, they're Mark too Twight young, walked away. They're too young to walk away. I, I know. I think. I think they might be. Well, that's the shocking thing in this in this sport. Um, you know, it, it, it'd be like if, like, the logical thing for a guy like me to get into is something like golf, right? You can go to the club. You get a membership. There's probably some training on site. You know, you go out with a with a master golfer. Or I don't know anything about golf, and they take you out and they show you more or less how to do it. But what if like every sixth golfer like burst into flame and died. <laughs> you know, like that's what this feels like. Yeah. So like the shocking thing is like that Mark Twight and Vince Anderson and Steve House and Barry Blanchard and those guys and Reinhold, like they're they're alive. Yeah. Like that's it's it's weird to be involved in an activity where the surprising thing is anybody over the age of 60 making it out alive. Yeah. You know, you read like Lionel Therese, Conquistadors of the Useless, like, and he's he's climbing really hard. What the 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 amazing and and funny and troubling thing about that book is they'll come down from some crazy route in in the uh, in, in the Alps or elsewhere, and and they'll make it, and then he'll and the postscript will be like, yeah, um, Vladimir was hit by a car like three weeks later and was killed. Yeah, you know, and then like over and over and over again. It's just a, it's a, it's an abattoir of of destruction, um, and that's just that's just the physical toll. Like the psychological toll on those guys is is um, something completely different. It's uh, I've talked to, with Sean Isaac about this. It's it's a kind of mental illness, I think, to to walk out on that thin on that thin tenuous line, like. Over and over and, and over, over and again. Over. Yeah, doing it every once in a while yeah. is one thing. Yeah. But continuous is very different. Yeah, climbing things that are so hard and so not just not just physically hard, but topographically tenuous, you know, like yeah. like um you know, all the seracs and avalanches and rockfall and all the other things. And not to mention uh, the, the inclement weather and the 30 below zero and the, you know, and keeping it light. So you've got one, you know, you've got one elephant foot sleeping bag for the three of you or something to, yeah. try, to try to make it light enough, you know. I mean, that's really, that's cutting it so close to the bone that it's it it's hard to understand as an outsider, I mean, I'm thinking of it in terms of like being a novelist. Like if I write that character, like how do I write a character or three characters who are willing to do that in a way that my mom would understand it and mm -hmm. go like, oh, I can relate to that. Like I can relate to that level of dedication to what? Because it's, it's, it's kind of beyond the pale, right? I mean, I think it's an addiction. I mean, I think there's, it's probably no different than the drug addict. Yeah. Um, Would you feel that way about yourself? 
I think I was that way at one point in my life. And at that point in my life, I was running away from things, though. Yeah. Like, there was things going on in my life that when I could go out and climb and get myself into that zone of being where risk was very high, I enjoyed it because I wasn't thinking about anything else in my life. And then you'd get that high after, you know. Um, But when you're in those moments, you're not thinking about anything else. You're not thinking about where they have a dollar in your bank account or whatever's going on, you know, yeah. you don't, when you have to hit, you know, a payment your car payment or your rent, like none of that's. So going to the mountains is the way to free yourself from yeah, all those things. It zeros you out. Yeah. And the only way to do that is you get better is to do a riskier and riskier things. Right. And so that tolerance just continues to grow and grow. Now I don't, I, I'm not speaking for anybody, but I'm speaking for myself and what I've seen, at least in people I know, that usually when they're doing things very, very risky, they're typically running away from things in their life. Yeah. Uh, but not always. I mean, I, I don't like, I don't know. I mean, look at Alex Honnold. I don't think he's running away from anything. Right. You know, that's just who he is. Like, it's, you know, is it an addiction for him? Probably. Yeah. Um, why? Who knows, you know? But I mean, I think 100% of my mind, I, I think the addiction is there. Um, why is it there is probably the bigger question and then becomes different. I guess, I mean, people do drugs for all various different reasons too, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, it would be interesting to see there be some science behind it, though, of like understanding the youth. Is there correlations? Are there common threads, you know, with people that have gone to the mountains and done really, really risky things? And what were they doing? What was going in terms on of in their dopamine and stuff? Yeah, like what was going on during their life too? Yeah. You know, what was it that triggered it? Because there's not many climbers. I mean, I'm just trying to think right now. Ones that have done risky things year after year after year after year of their lifetime. I, I can't think of anybody. Right. You know, like it just came in periods of time. Yeah, like a like a spurt of. Uh, of audaciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think for me, it was literally seeing, you know, literally believing that I was going to lose my life. And yeah. then you're like, shit, I don't want to die. Yeah. You know, and I think people get that off of big climbs too. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that that was Mark, what like Mark Twight had when he was like, Hey, I'm done. But like, I did wonder with, you know, you know, Jackson and Alan and, and Matt, like if one of them being that close would walk away going, Fuck man, I want to live. I don't know want to do this, but I don't. I don't. I don't. At least from what I've listened to in their presentation, I don't think that came from it. I think it was, hey, we learned a lot. We can improve on this, and there's bigger things we can go after, which is incredible. But yeah, for those that are close to it, you just worry. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I've you know watched you know Kyle Dempster and, and Adam. I mean, those guys. We knew when they left that they were going to do something absolutely fucking incredible or something devastating was going to happen and something devastating happened. Yeah. You know, so you, that that's the worry that's there. And I, and I get like you have to have those people in order, in order to do bigger and greater things. Yeah. Um but you have to like there's there's so much more behind it. Yeah, and you and uh it, it is hard to sort of find the metric of of what's what's uh, not just what's possible. That that sounds like a a, a Reinhold Messner thing, but um, and it's not. It's also not what's worth it. But 
but built into this activity, and I, and I I tend to use activity and not sport because I don't I don't like to think of this as a sport because <laughs> sport implies competition. Yeah, and the comp there, but built into this there is a lot of competition. You know, like back in California, there's a lot of FKT. You know, like everybody's oh, yeah. trying to like, oh that's everywhere. We're gonna try to hit like Whitney from Death Valley as fast as possible. You know, or, um, and I think it's cool. And I've got uh, you know I've got friends that are that are in that game, you know? Um, and I, and I think it's interesting as human beings that we need to, uh, that we want our name on that list. You know, we want, we want to be Hans Florian or, or something. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, and I have a lot of respect for those guys, but I'm in it for me. And I think for a lot of, of mediocre, uh, climbers, like myself, I, I, we're just in it to do anything, to do something, you know? I mean, I'm never going to be in a guidebook. Yeah. We're, you know, all, all of us... You're on a podcast. I'm, out of, I'm, on, a, <laughs> I'm on cold fear, man. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because the listeners can't see the, the huge mound of cocaine in front of Multi right now. <laughs> right. I mean, it is huge. He's like waving around an Uzi while he's talking. It's like... It's thought quite, it was snowing in it's here. It's quite a scene in here. But... um you know, I I, I think um, I think it's worth. You know, there was a point Dane Stedman's uh, presentation this weekend. There was a point at the end where he said, "Like, I just hope you guys go out and go to these places and try these things." And I'm sure there were plenty of people in the room who were like, "Hell yeah!" And I was just sitting there shaking my head, going, "Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I can't do any of that. Like, that was off the hook, man. Yeah. That's like Tiger Woods going, like, I hope the rest of you here also do 15 holes in ones. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's just not a thing, you know. But it is inspiring. It's just inspiring in, like, such abstraction for a person like me, you know. Yeah. Um, but it is a little like, you know, it's it's like, to use the golf metaphor, and Tiger Woods is the only golfer whose name I know. Yeah. Um, it is like watching Tiger Woods. Yeah, and I and I think though that, that the, a message that could be much better for for every single person, no matter who you are, what level you are, is like being good with where you are. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like my buddy Ryan Vachon has always said that because I'm always I'm like my worst critic, and um, but he's like, man, just be good with where you are. Like, why not be happy with that? Cause you could be less. Yeah. So be happy with where you are right now and embrace that. It's true. And if more comes from that, then great. But if more doesn't, yeah, then just be happy with that. But I think we are as, as humans, like always wanting more. Yeah. Like you're never satisfied with what you have. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was satisfied making, you know, when I was 21 years old, making $24,000 a year, I was satisfied. You know, now you couldn't even pay your bills if that's what you're making a year, Those you know, the like, days, though. yeah, they were, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, didn't have a whole lot of responsibility, but I, I do think that, and I, I, you know, as I came up, I, I always knew I would never be the best climber. Yeah. I, I was working a job. I didn't, I couldn't make training and, you know, climbing be my number one thing. And so I knew I would never be that. And I think that's why I really attached to first ascents because that could be my thing. Yeah. Like I'm really good at hiking in the woods. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, I'm really good at talking people into hiking in the woods as well. Yeah. Um, and then if we can get to go <laughs> climb, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, but that was my thing. And so it just kind of, it does make me think of like, okay, if like was to come into the sport now, 
and I didn't live where I would live. Like, what is the motivating factor? Your motivating factor would have to be your own goals and motivation. And if you put that to be the best climber in the world, like, it's just probably not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, there was a moment on Sunday, I guess, we were up on Joy After Pain. After Pain? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Joy After Pain, top middle of the second pitch, there's a little cave where you can sort of get out of the way. And there were two of us climbing, so I ducked into the cave so the, the next guy could go up and not kick stuff down on me. And that that moment in the cave was the moment of the day for me because I, I was I was by myself. It was really quiet. I was in an ice cave and I was looking out at the South Fork Valley down below. Yeah. And it was just like perfectly quiet and beautiful. Um, and there was a moment uh last winter i was i was coming down off of a climb with my buddy ross and he was talking about how his his parents don't really understand what he's into um you know, they're uh you know they're, they're an old jewish couple and they're like they don't understand why their son is off in the mountains yeah. gallivanting around but in that moment coming down through the snow and i think we were waist deep just slopping through it <laughs> A raven came and just hovered maybe 30 feet in the air and just checked us out for a minute, just hovered there and flew away. And, um, you know, those are moments as a writer that are so hard to articulate how (laughs) profound those moments are. And in climbing, there's so many of them. Yeah. And sometimes they're so intense and so meaningful that you actually forget them. Like you just don't remember all of those moments that you've had, but uh, but that's interesting because that, that's you're you're focused on the experience. The experience. You're not. Yeah. A, you're. You know. Because the, the experience is the reward, not the number, not the grade. Right. But I I do wonder though is that is that a is that aging itself out? I don't know. It, it's hard because the 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 literature and media around climbing definitely focuses on very hard first ascents, you know, and, 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 and what's attached to that? A grade. A grade. Yeah. And it'll say at the end, you know, water eyes seven plus X mixed, you yeah. know, mixed 57, you know, 10 skulls and crossbones and fire and dragons, yeah, you know, exactly. It's just like, exactly. God damn. Uh, and, and what's not there, there's a moment in, um, in free solo, uh, Jimmy Jimmy and Chai's film, where Tommy Caldwell and Alex are in the back of the van, and Alex has his notebook out and he's writing in it. And Tommy goes, "Is there? You ever write like I saw the biggest juniper I've ever seen today in the notebook?" And he goes, "No, it's just climbing stuff." Yeah, and I exactly. was just like, "But that that says a lot about." You know, Alice, Alex's experience, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe everybody has those kinds of experiences with the juniper, yeah. you know, um, and, and maybe it's important that he keeps like that notebook is his work life and yeah. that's what he writes in it, you know, um, in the new Adam Andra film, pushing the limits or boundaries or whatever it's called, like there, there's, you get to see his journal too. And it's very similar. It's just like climbed my first, you know, nine B today, you know, yeah. or whatever. And, and see, that's interesting. Cause, and I, I mean, I, I, that's why I wonder, like, cause for me, I haven't, 
I'd be surprised if anybody can find a post out there that I have of a new route that I've done that I gave it a grade. Yeah. Because I've always felt like, and this is different with, with, with mixed and ice because you can look at something and get a good idea. Yeah. And I've never wanted to scare people away from things by giving it a grade. But I also know that being the first one and having that experience, my grade could be very different than the second, third, right. the fourth, the fifth. Right. And so why give it some, like, the grade I think people get too focused on anymore. And yeah. I, I think for me, it's like the experience that was out there and seeing this cool thing, um, but also all the other stuff in between. And I, and I do feel like in, in many ways, like I think that climbers are getting too focused on the grade versus like if we went out and climbed main vein tomorrow, which is water ice three and it was a calm day and there wasn't rocks raining over our head. Um, and we weren't scared for our life because of that. <laughs> It would be the most remarkable day ever. Like to yeah. me, that would be a fantastic freaking day. Absolutely. It was not be out of either one of our comfort zones. And you would just, but you'd walk away with that going, fuck man, that was great. Yeah. Like you don't have to climb water ice five. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, I just climbed a freaking thousand feet of water ice three and it was fucking marvelous. But yeah. I do wonder with like the competition piece and like, you know, we all often compare ourselves to other people and we get, you definitely get hung up on numbers and the climate tree may not be, you know, may not be competitive, but yeah. it is competitive. Otherwise, why would they, the numbers are thrown out so much. It is. You know? Yeah, it is. So like, I, I just, I'm wondering, like, in thinking through this, like for you and, and, you know, kind of, you know, saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm basically mediocre. Is that mediocre? Be- like, are you mediocre in your experiences or are you mediocre because you're comparing yourself to a grade? Yeah, absolutely. Compared to the grade. Yeah. Like, my experiences are fucking pristine. Exactly. <laughs> but that's not what you focus on, right? I know. I like, know. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, like, how do we come back to just being focused on how good of experiences I'm getting? Yeah. And the people you go with and all that stuff that, versus the grade. That's a big key. Like, I mean, it's know. hard. I'm not saying that it's, that it's not. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can battle with that too, but I do. To me, the most rewarding day is like how, how freaking awesome that day was and the experiences within it. The experiences it. and the people, especially the people, like, oh, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. We we focus on the grades so quickly, and it's often your partnership that's the main thing, you know. Yeah. It's one of the things I really love about um, Barry Blanchard's book is it's like he really does spend the time on his partnerships and how important those are. And, yeah. and and what that what those partnerships have meant to him in his life, hmm. you know, with with Twite and those guys. So, as a writer, what do you think is this is going to be a two part question? What do you think is missing in the climbing world, like from a from a writing standpoint? Well. Book-length climbing memoirs tend to be, uh, we climbed this route, we almost died, we didn't, we summited. (laughs) And then chapter two, again, and again, and again, and again. Um, You know, the, the, the drama of climbing from an outside perspective, and I think climbers... I mean, I think there are some climbers who are real writers, and I think there's a lot of climbers who 
right because writing is expected of climbers these mm-hmm. days, you know, and, and that, that also differentiates it from golf, you know, like nobody's going like, where's Tiger's new essay on, <laughs> you know, on that exciting moment at the yeah. whatever. Um, but I think uh, for me as a reader, dialing into the heart of the heart of it, you know, like, okay, you're way out in the Karakoram, unsupported. Um, you're on your own. And I get it, you're stoked, you're gonna do the climb, but like, what else is going on with you? Like, why like why are you there at all? Yeah, what's going on in your life while you're sitting there for yeah, a I mean, month Graham or two? Zimmerman's good at that in his new book. I think Barry's book is um The Calling is one of the best out there. Um great book called The Bond um, about Denali, about a, uh, his climbing partner gets um, edema, cerebral edema on the climb, and they don't really understand cerebral edema quite yet yeah. back then. And there's just, just this amazing moment where these two guys are trying to like negotiate, you know, one guy losing his mind and the other guy trying to figure out what to do about it. Yeah. Um, or something like, um, you know, the, the famous one is... Um, Simon and Joe Simpson um, in that that accident in South America. Touching the Void. Uh, Touching the Void, yeah, thank you. I could remember their names, <laughs> but not the title of the most famous climbing book of all time. But, you know, the, 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 thing, that, the, the thing that Touching the Void does so well is it does both. You know, it gives you the sort of meat and potatoes, like crawling across the glacier on your hands and knees, and it also gives you the kind of psychological torment of, of the other guys, you know, uh, um, not just Simon, but the, that, that third guy who's just kind of at base camp kind of on a whim, who's kind of seeing this whole thing go down and it allows you to sort of like connect to all of it. You get sort of like the action and you also get like the deep psychological kind of reckoning, which, which, which Joe Simpson has been, you know, he's followed that through, um, you know, another book or two since then. Yeah. Have yeah. you read any of Mark Twight stuff? Yeah. He, he's a what about the late, like the most re- more recent stuff though? I've not the nonprofit stuff. Yeah, the, yeah. The newer stuff. No, I've not read Mark's mm. new stuff. I wanted to show you Refuge, like yeah, because I think it touches on that. It's not like it's not a novel by any means, yeah. but I do think that he really kind of like puts a lot out there, uh, which really kind of leads me in my the second part of that question, which is like what. What would you want to see from from and you kind of sort of went into it, but like, what would you want to see from climbers out there, like writing, like, <laughs> like you know, people yeah. that like, and are they people that are just climbing big mountains and stuff? Like, what are the thing? What are the stories that you're like? I mean, you've been in that world now for so long. What's the? What is it? I think that climbing is becoming more mainstream and more yeah. and more mainstream. Like, yeah. I mean. Look at Netflix, right? There's a ton of stuff on there. Yeah. Like, you know, you see commercials now. I mean, you know, I mean, I have a sponsorship at Ford Bronco. Like, you yeah. know I mean? Like, so there is, it's becoming... I'll have this, one too after this podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and like, it's becoming much more and more mainstream. So like, if from a writing perspective, I don't feel like writing in the climate industry has really gone anywhere in a long, long time. No. Like, it's been pretty stagnant. Yep. So like, what would be the things that you think that, you would love to see and, and even like people like you're like, man, I wish this is what they would they come out and write and say and I don't know. I think 
I think I've got a put you on the spot. Couple different answers for that. One is humor. I think climbing is often pretty funny. Um, I mean, there's just there's so much fuckery with any kind of alpine endeavor. You know, stuff breaks. Somebody's got terrible gas. You yeah. know, I mean, there's you just, have to have humor. You're never going to so make it. Much. Yeah. And and climbing literature on the whole is so fucking grim all the time. <laughs> it's just like hard men going up things, you know. And but there's there's so. I mean, everybody has a story about shit their pants on a route or something. You know, like I mean, I, I swear to God, everybody has shat their pants or sharded on a route <laughs> at one point or another. You know. And does that show up in the climbing literature? Never. Yeah. Not one time have I ever read about somebody on an ice route finally going like, I'm shitting my pants right now, you know? <laughs> um, and that, you know, that that's kind of a weird example, but it is like the, the literature tends to eliminate anything but the hard stuff, you know, like, like, I was just talking to Adam Knopf about this, you know, like there's so much outside of climbing that colors climbing for, for us climbers. Um, you know, the route's great, but you know, Aaron, you and I had dinner tonight and there were climbers at the next table and there was a lot of like, check this out, check this out. Oh, there's a cone on this route now. Look yeah. at this picture. Look at this picture. Oh, here's the elk head I brought out of the, of the <laughs> Canyon. You know, I mean, that stuff that stuff mostly gets combed out of of the literature, but that stuff is often for us the most important because that's that's where our hearts are really tethering to the other people who know what it's like to be out there, hmm. you know, to do that stuff, who know what it's like to shit their pants on the yeah. climb, you know, um, or or you know, there's. I mean, I keep referring to films and literature, of course, but I mean, there's that wonderful scene on in Meru where uh, Jimmy Chin says, "What's what's for dinner, Conrad?" And he goes, "It's couscous." What, what was for dinner yesterday? Couscous. Yeah. What was for breakfast? Yeah. Couscous. And he shows the pot, and it's you know it's frozen solid, and he's like yeah. trying to chip it out of the pot. You know, I mean that stuff. I mean that's real beauty to me. Um, yeah. The climbing is is one thing. It's all the stuff in between. The climbing is like, the writing about climbing is low-hanging fruit. It's yeah. all the rest of it that's interesting and difficult. And it, it, so that's one thing. The other thing is like, I really wish more really, really great writers would write about climbing. And I mean like, I don't know, Lauren Groff or Jesmyn Ward, or I mean, we've got that great James Salter novel, Solo Faces, but like, I mean, it's a travesty that Cormac McCarthy never wrote a climbing novel. You huh. know, like I'd love, I'd love to see a, J, a John Steinbeck climbing novel or a, or a, you know, I mean, Hemingway was interested in it, but there's, I mean, he did Snows of Kilimanjaro, but like, yeah. I wish he was like way into ice climbing or something and he was alive <laughs> now or Faulkner or somebody, you know? So, I mean, that's kind of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like bring my full, my full set of skills, my full vocabulary, my full sort of like syntactical sentence interests and stuff to the literature and also talk about people shitting their pants on climbs. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Do you have a shitting your pants story? I mean you don't have to tell it, but I actually you uh, never sharded you never sharded your drawers on a climb? I have not well, very close in Norway. Okay. And my but I we were able to find a ledge and take care of business. Yeah. And, 
but the two partners that were literally like, you know, inches away from me, uh, I think one of them puked. Um, yeah. Did you at least shit on your boot while you were doing that? I don't think I did. Oh I think my I God. got. You're not even a real climber. You know Have what? you ever climbed? I probably did. I just never did. I even wanted to look. Yeah, you got. <laughs> I don't know. Because I'm thinking about the position we were in. There was almost probably no way that I couldn't have. Yeah. 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 I mean, even if you manage to shit on the ledge, you and it ends up it getting ends up on your pant leg, yeah. on your foot, on your crampon, or yeah. on your tool or something. It's going to go. It was yeah. somewhere, I'm yeah. sure. Of it. Yeah. 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 That was a while That's ago. just how it is. That's yeah. just how it is. Uh, it, it's interesting that you say that because I, I can't remember who it was that I was talking to about like free solo and they were like you know free solo had come out as just Alex you know soloing you know El Cap like it would have never gone anywhere but it was the story with him and his girlfriend or wife at the time I can't girlfriend remember girlfriend at the time yeah. yeah girlfriend at the time like that's what sold the whole entire thing absolutely you know, which is kind of crazy to think about yeah. that. But you're right. Like, if it just been about him soloing, like, it never would have gone where it went. Well, that's the genius of Jimmy and Chai, right? They yeah. like they look at it and they go, like, okay, where's the actual heart of this story? Yeah. Like, the heart of it is is Alex finally finding the love of his life yeah. and then doing this thing anyway and trying to wrestle with with that. You know, um, he he had to take a shit on that route. By the way, it's in uh, it's in Mark Sinnott's book about it. Oh, really? Yeah, he like shat down one of the flakes, in the back of one of the flakes. Oh my god! <laughs> there's, a, I mean, there's a there's a lot of shit on that hill on oh, that mountain. Man. So you know it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, oh yeah, man, that's pretty crazy. This, so this whole conversation just took a turn. It took a turn. It yeah. Took a turn. Yeah, it went from writing to took a turn right up the colon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, no, I won't tell that story. It's maybe too much. Oh, but, uh, come on. No, it's, uh, come on. All right, all right. All right, let's all hear right. it. All right. This is the moment I realized I needed to, to, to propose to my wife. So that'll, that'll just set the stage. Oh, my God. Come back. I, I now want you to not tell it. I know. <laughs> Go to Outdoor Retailer. Yeah. Been there for a week, right? Eating crappy food all week long. Come home. And uh, Kelly makes some macaroni and cheese and... I don't know, my stomach starts feeling a little bit kind of hurting, like a little, you know, something in the abdomen. I'm like, man, I don't know. And it's like a couple hours go by. Now I'm starting to sweat and it's increasing in pain. And and Kelly's like, you know, you're being a big baby. And then like literally like three hours after eating, I'm in the fetal position in the bathroom. I could barely move and sweating, you know. And she's like, oh, my God, you want to like take you to the hospital or something, you know, like totally giving me crap. She thinks I'm a baby when it comes to pain. I'm not. But... I'm like, you know what? Uh, yeah, I think I need to. And she's like, are you kidding me? You know, making me feel bad about it. It was yeah. everything I could do to get from the car into the ER. Wow. Um, and uh, they thought it was my appendix. It was not. Ended up being just stopped up. Really? And from the OR. And I remember I was in so much pain. They gave me morphine. Didn't touch it. Um, they gave me dilaudid. Right. Yeah, and I've never had anything like that in my life. But yeah. oh my god, I can understand why an addict would get addicted because you just like a wave went through your body. You know, I was like, oh, <laughs> holy moly! And uh, but anyways, this gets really graphic. Um, but basically, like they they literally come walking into the room with a five gallon bucket of water, yeah. and a tube, yeah, and they start shoving that tube down your butt, up the butt. And then they take, and then they have a funnel. Like yeah. they look like they got it at Ace Hardware. Yeah, and it looks like the tube they also picked up at Ace yeah. Hardware and picked probably a little too big a tubing. Yeah. 
And they lift the bucket up. They get a stool yeah. and they get a bucket and they start pouring pouring the water into the tube. And that's how it starts. Yeah. And Is Kelly in the room. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So so Kelly's like, as soon as she hears what's gonna happen, she's like, I'm gonna leave. And I'm like, no, yeah, I'm on, I'm high as all get out on dilated, right? And she's like, your no. girlfriend at this point, not she's my your girlfriend. Wife. Yeah. yeah. She, I'm like, no, stay here. Like, hold my hand. Like, no, stay, don't go. And she's like, no, no, I'm good. I don't think. I don't need to see this. I'm like, no, no, stay here. So she's like, good God. I can only imagine. She was like, good God. I can't believe this as I'm doing this. <laughs> so this all goes down. And she's like, she, she's like, I watch them putting the tube. And it just keep the tube keeps going into you. She's like, I kind of thought it was going to come out your mouth. Like, it just kept going. You know? But I was so, I was so high on the lot. And I had no clue. Like, I, I mean, I, I was totally out of it. They get all this water in. She's like, I could not believe how much water in. And they leave. They, they go to leave the room. They're like, listen. She rolls this little commode in. And and uh, I was like, I don't. I'm fine. She's like, oh. Because I'm like, the, the bathroom's right across the hallway. She's like, this, the nurse is like, oh, honey. I'm just going to set it right here. <laughs> and I'm like, and so I'm like, oh, honey, Kelly, come over here. Like, we'll just like, you know, lay in bed for a little bit. And, she's, and the nurse leaves. She goes, just hold it in as long as you can. And I'm like, okay, it's like three in the morning at this point. We end up passing out, like cuddling. Yeah. Believe it or not, I can't believe she saw all that and still wanted yeah. to like spoon me. Yeah. And uh, I think it was 45 minutes later. I woke in the dead of a sleep, and it was everything I could do to get on that commode. And it was violent, absolutely <laughs> violent. And I thank God I was so high. That I couldn't see Kelly's reaction. <laughs> but all I can remember is like after that and the next day, oh I'm just God. like, Jesus, I've got it. I've got to propose to her because <laughs> like after that, like what's left? Like, you know, I mean. Oh, man, you and, owe her so much. Yeah, I know. You I know. owe her so much. And that was, uh, yeah, that was the moment. So. Please edit this entire podcast to just be about poops. <laughs> Cut everything else out. Poops, poops, poops and books. What else could we have? It could be. Poops and books. Think of something. We'll have to think of the, uh, the <laughs> poops, name books, and mediocrity. There we go. Yeah, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> I'll have to write bad. that down. I'll take that. Yeah. See, books it's like you write mediocrity. or something. I write things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're right at an oh, hour man. here, Christian. Um, what? What's uh, so? What's what's next Ooh. for you? Sounds like you're you're working on a climbing book here of some yeah, sort I'll, i've got a uh, piece called brotherhood of night in the next issue of alpinist which is a fiction piece about climbing during world war one um cool. which i think is good uh great editing there uh right now so that that really made the piece a lot better which was very satisfying it's not always that way yeah um working on three novels at the same time uh, and we'll see which one makes it to the finish line first. Nice. Very rare for me to work on more than one thing at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I can't imagine doing that. I can't even get one book done. Come on now. Yeah, well, uh, you know me now, so I'll be texting you every day <laughs> you going, just what's ghost, your word count? What's you your word count? Ghostwrite the whole thing? Yeah, I'll just, yeah, I'll change all the names to whatever I want them to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be, that would make my life first a whole lot descent, better. First descent, Christian Kiefer, every yeah, single one. There you go. Like, man, that mediocre climber did some yeah. hard climbs. He showed up at the Wyoming Ice Fest for a week and... <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Everything that's water ice, one or two, I've yeah. done the first ascent on. Nice. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, and you're getting ready to head up to uh, Canada for the Arctic freeze, which you're I going up, yeah, going I up to try talking you out of that at dinner, but we'll see what happens. Well, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, going up to climb with Sean Isaac and see Barry Blanchard, and uh, nice. yeah, I love it. I love it up there. Nice. Although the weather forecast makes me love it less. Yeah, negative thirty something is kind of hard to it's, motivate for. It seems unnecessary. It's like, I mean, why my, even? Why even do that? Zeros where I, I cro- like that's the like. Nope, don't need to go out. Nope. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm from California. Like, it's. I mean, I wear I wear socks and slides in the winter time. So yeah, uh, we had the t- we had to we had to. You learned about heat tape the other day. I learned about heat yeah. tape. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's that? What? <laughs> I'm like setting a heater underneath my trailer to try to get it to defrost and. <laughs> Yeah. Aaron Aaron rolls up and is like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I'm like, "I'm MacGyvering this." He's like, "Oh no no, go to Ace Hardware yeah. buy some heat Let's go tape. Go get some heat tape." Yeah, which is yeah. which has worked. Which yeah. has worked. Yeah. Good good. Well, thanks for having me out. And thanks for having me on the podcast. And yeah. thanks for the Wyoming Ice Festival, which yeah. I will be back again next year. Awesome. To once more park my trailer in your driveway. In my driveway. <laughs> I've had a couple people who's parked out in your driveway. I feel like I'm pretty. I feel like I'm good enough to guide now. So you should have me out as a guide. Oh yeah, I'll guide the again the water ice one and two. The water ice, yeah. yeah. Let me know when you find those in Cody. I'll find some. Yeah, I think they're in the parking lot of the Ace Hardware. Actually, yeah, yeah they have been. That's for sure. There's a lot yeah. of ice. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Hope you have a good trip yeah, and uh, look forward to uh, reading your piece on the Alpinist. Yeah, man. Sounds good. All right. All right. Poop.